It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. The fishermen were gone out of them. They were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon or Simon Peter, prayed him that he would thrust, push, push out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. When he had left speaking, he said, Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a, for a catch or a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Please notice in verse number four, Jesus said, let down your nets, plural. They just let down a net. So their faith wasn't as big as that should have been. When they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish. And of course, the net, the net broke. They beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, you just need to leave me alone. I'm, I'm a sinful man. I, 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 you don't want to hang around a guy like me. He was astonished. And all that were with him at the, the catch, the draught of fishes which they had taken. This is Psalms. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. My subject today is fish stories. Fish stories. If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. Fish stories. This is a massive fish that I caught several years ago. <laughs> the lure was bigger than the fish. I don't even know how that fish got on there, but that was one very, uh, that fish had a lot of courage is all I can say if he thought he could eat that big orange thing. <laughs> but when I caught it, it was much bigger than that. That picture don't do it justice. <laughs> fish stories. These mythical creatures and critters that were caught when nobody else was there. When you didn't have a camera, um, these larger than life stories that other people dismiss as just smoke and mirrors. I once heard about a, a one-armed fisherman that caught a fish this big. And uh, I want to try and take you somewhere today. Some of the things that I do will be controversial. I'm just trying to, to, to intrigue you right off the bat. They say that a brain or a mind that's stretched to a new idea will never return to its former dimensions. Elon Musk recently said, I intend to take the word fiction out of science fiction. And what could be a more appropriate day to teach on this subject than Easter Sunday? The day set aside to remind us about the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus defied every known law that we are aware of, time, space, physical matter, and returned alive after being in a grave for three days. Wow, what a story. Behind me is a picture of a man named Luis Elizondo. Elizondo is a very decorated military veteran that when he retired, from the military, he began to work for the Secretary of Defense, working on something known as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Program. Last year, during the middle of COVID, in July of 2021, the Pentagon released an amazing statement saying that there is credible evidence that UAPs are not a myth. For years, it's been called UFOs, but the the phrase UFO has become so stigmatized that they now refer to these events as UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. 
Louise Elizondo was tasked with investigating 144 reports, many of them with video or at the minimum photographic evidence. After three years of research, studying 144 events, only one could be explained. Previously, the government policy was to deny and discredit and dismiss anyone that said they'd seen a UFO. However, all of this has changed. Let me set the stage for what you're about to see. Um, this happened off the coast of San Diego, California. You're going to see a, a short video for a couple, 15 seconds. You're going to notice there's all kinds of numbers around it. What, what this is, it's known as a HUD, a heads-up display. This is what a fighter pilot sees as he's looking through the canopy. These are numbers so that he doesn't have to look down at a, at a dashboard. He looks through his can. Cars are doing this now, many of them displaying how fast you're going, whatever, actually on the windshield. This, this, is, this is technology that came from, from airplanes. And um, this is fascinating because uh, I want you to just watch this and then I'll explain to you what's going on. It's known as the Tic Tac. The Tic Tac. We have an aircraft carrier known as the Nimitz, USS Nimitz. It's a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. The Nimitz picked this thing up on its radar, and it was corroborated by an airplane known as a Hawkeye. A Hawkeye is a very unique airplane. It's got a radar dome on top of it. So not only was this thing picked up by the ship, but it was picked up by this airplane. The fascinating thing is, when they picked it up on their radar, it was 80,000 feet in the air. Now, if you fly a commercial airliner, it'll level off somewhere between 30 and 35,000 feet. This thing is flying 80,000 feet in the air. But in less than one second, this thing went from 80,000 feet down to the surface of the ocean and was flying less than 50 feet over the ocean in less than one second, meaning that it had to go at least 55,000 miles per hour. Two F-18Ds were launched off of the Nimitz to investigate it. Uh, an F-18D model has two, two, has a pilot and a guy sitting behind him known as a Rio. A RIO is an acronym for a Radio Intercept Officer. And so there's two of these, these planes, meaning that this thing was seen by four uh, pilots. And uh, these are trained airmen. These are men are trained to know what plane it is 20 miles away and whether they can shoot it down or not. One of these planes was piloted by a guy named David Fravor. Fravor is a graduate and now an instructor at a very, uh, it's, if you've ever seen the movie Top Gun, uh, that's not a myth. In Miramar, California, at that air station, they have what is known as the Top Gun program. And only the very best pilots get a chance to go through this program. This Mr. David Fravor is not only a graduate, but is an instructor at Top Gun School. He went down to investigate this thing that was flying. It was 40 feet long. There's a, there's a guy that, 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 he lives in Michigan now. I'd love to meet him. His name is Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar worked for several years at something known as Groom Lake. Uh, most people know it as something known as Area 51. Lazar claimed that he was tasked with reverse engineering an anti-gravity propulsion system on on this project. And um, when he left and he told somebody he was working on it, they all said he was a liar. To date, so far, Bob Lazar has gone through three 
lie detector test. The last one being administered by the most credible lie detector test people that work for the FBI. And he passed with flying colors. They don't know what to do with Lazar. They say he's making this all up. But Louise Elizondo said that I am able to, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to tell you that we are in possession of exotic material, is what he said. And uh, this, this thing was flying 50 feet above the, earth, above the water and it just disappeared. And it pops up five miles away or 60 miles away in less than five seconds. You do the math, that's 47,000 miles per hour. What, what in the world? You can hear these pilots saying, what is that? What is that? Nobody knows. So there's others that just say, uh, it's a fish story. It's a fish story. <laughs> a myth, a zephyr, things that go bump in the night, a boogeyman, the guy on the grassy knoll. <laughs> this is a picture of a man named Galileo Galilei. In 15 or 1615, he defied the teaching of the church, which said that everything revolved around the earth. But Galileo proved that these planets revolve around the sun. There were death threats put against him. And he dedicated the rest of his life to proving he was the one that said that was the mass of the moon. See, see, gravity is tied into weight. And the bigger something is, the more pull it has. Which makes these... Crafts very interesting because when these pilots saw these things, there's no cockpit, there's no windows, there's no wings, there's no, there, 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 there are no surfaces, no, no, no flaps, no ailerons, there, there's no visible means of propulsion. They call it anti-gravity. And, 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 and in order to, to date, our understanding of gravity is you've got to have something really big to have gravity and yet these things seem to be able to defy gravity and move around. And it was Galileo who, who, who said it was the mass of the moon that influenced the tides. And when the moon came closest to the earth, it sucked the water towards it. And when it went behind our earth, that's when the water returned. They all said he was crazy, but you see, time has proved him right. This is Christopher Columbus. On the 3rd of August, 1492, Columbus set out at midnight. And the reason he left at midnight has now been proven why. Because when they studied the manifest and the ship's crew roster, the ships that Columbus is responsible for, stories, I don't even know if they teach this in school anymore, the Nina and Pinta and the Santa Maria. These ships are full of expelled Jews because the reason they had to leave at midnight is because the very next day began something which in time has become known as the Spanish Inquisition. These are people who refused to renounce their religion and literally were on these ships which leads great credibility to who in the world discovered America anyway. They said the earth was flat. And if you go out there, you're going to fall off the edge into the abyss. But he didn't. And of course, time has proved him to be right. The science of map making, map making is known as cartography. And it was in its infancy back then. And when ancient map makers came to the edge of the known world, they would simply write this on their maps. Here be dragons. You don't want to go there. There's bad stuff out there. We've never been there, but we know it's going to be bad. There's dragons out there. And you know what? There were. We now know them as great whites, humpbacks, bowheads, whales. People for years have been saying, that can't be. You can't do that. It's impossible. You can't run faster than four minutes a mile. Your lungs will explode. 
But Roger Bannister proved them all wrong. You can't fly faster than the speed of sound. It's known as compressibility. That when you fly an airplane fast, the molecules cluster around the front of that plane and they get squeezed tight and it creates something known as turbulence. And the, the, the accepted wisdom was if you get close to the speed of sound, that, that, that thing's going to compress and that turbulence is going to rip that airframe apart. But a kid from West Virginia named Chuck Yeager, he said he got his bubble gum stuck on his microphone. They couldn't understand him. And he took his bubble gum off the microphone and he said, you know what, fellas, I think I'm going to do this. And he stepped, gave it gas. And a guy from West Virginia was the first one to break the sound barrier. When he did, he said, it's so smooth on the other side of that turbulence. <laughs> I've heard him for years. You can't do that in Detroit. Detroit's days are over. Detroit is the redheaded stepchild of the broken manufacturing industry in this country. And I promise you for the last eight months, these voices have bombed, barded my heart. You can't do that, Harold, especially now. You're dealing with COVID. Could I say this to you today? I think it's time to put COVID behind us. You, the, the economy is shaky. The supply chain is slowing down. There won't be any food in the grocery stores in six months. We all better live off grid. Let's get chickens and goats. When you dare to defy the norms and the limits that are accepted by the masses, so often your efforts are going to quickly be branded as that's just a fish store. The first, first church heard them as well. What a sham, what a lie. Are you, you, you didn't come back from the dead. That's, that's stupid to believe something like that. Search the records. There's something known as the catacombs in Rome, which is the graveyard of the early believers. Thousands upon thousands of graves in those subterranean tunnels and almost without exception on the grave of every one of these believers is a symbol that they all understood an image that immediately identified you as one of them a fish a fish in the Greek language fish is ichthus it doesn't mean much to us but these letters, these Greek letters are very, very interesting because in the Greek language, you spell it iota, ki, omicron, upsilon, theta. These are letters that, that, that mean nothing to us now, but to that early church, that first letter looks like an I, it's, it's pronounced ichthus. Iota is the first letter in fish. It's, it's an acronym. This, this first letter is where you got the word Iesus. This is the Greek form of the word Jesus. The next letter, it looks like an X. It's, uh, it's known as Chi. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's where you get the word Christos. Christos is the anointed one, the Messiah. The next letter, it looks, it looks like a, an O with a little squiggle in the middle. This, this is a Greek letter theta. This, this is the letter that gave us the word theos or God, where you get the word theology. The next letter kind of looks like a Y. Some other versions, it looks like a U. It's pronounced upsilon. This is where, this is the letter that gave us the word son. This is the S sound in the Greek language. And the final letter is sigma. This is where we get the word savior. This is what this meant to the early church. Jesus, the anointed son of God, our savior. 
It was a fish. We identify with a fish. Jesus called these disciples, but within the 12 was an inner core of Peter, James, and John. It's not by chance that the, this inner core of the ministry team of Jesus were converted because of a fish story. A massive catch of fish. In fact, the Bible is full of fish stories. Hmm. You see, they that go down to the sea in ships and do business in in great water, these see his wonders in the deep. I'm going to tell you something I learned a long time ago. You don't catch big fish by the beach. You don't catch big fish by the shore. In the book of Revelation, it said one of the signs and thing that will be happening when Jesus returns is there will be spirits in the earth like frogs. I'm a hillbilly kid, so I know about frogs. We were kids. We used to sneak onto the golf courses because they had the biggest frogs anywhere. And we'd shoot them frogs cut legs off, put them in the skillet. It's really cool. The legs go like this in the skillet. Looks like they're alive. And yes, they really do almost taste like chicken. Hmm. I'll tell you what I know about frogs. You don't shoot frogs in the middle of the lake. And you don't shoot frogs 200 yards from the beach. Frogs are edge creatures. They never get too far out in the water and they never get too far in the land. They're always on the edge. In the book of Exodus, Moses told Pharaoh, we're leaving. Pharaoh said, okay, here's the deal. I'll let you go, but don't go far away. And then when that wouldn't work, he said, okay, we'll let you go, but you gotta leave the wife and kids here. And then he said, okay, you can go, but you've got to leave your flocks and herds. You've got to leave your sheep and your cows here. Moses responded to him and said, nope, we're not doing it. First of all, you can't have our, our flocks and our herds because that's where we get our sacrifices from. And we're not going to allow you to steal and stay in possession of our sacrifice. We're going out there and we're going to make a sacrifice and we're taking our cows and our sheep with them. Well, don't be so stupid to impose your Elizabethan standards on your wife and your kids, for goodness sakes. And they said, nope, we're taking the whole family. All of us are going. And you know what? We're going by the graveyard. We're digging up Joe's bones. Because 400 years before, Joseph had said, boys, we're going to get out of here one day. Don't bear me shallow. Because I want you to come by the graveyard and dig me up before you leave. And they did. And they carried his box for 40 years. It got so bad and so Moses, he literally looked at Pharaoh and he said, we're leaving. And let me tell you this, we're taking the family, we're taking our sacrifice, we're taking Joe's bones. He said, there won't even be a hoof left behind when we leave. And he said, we're never coming back. We're going a long ways away. It's the way you gotta serve Jesus Christ because the enemy will say, well, just do it on Sunday, but for goodness sakes, don't do it all week long. Just be a frog. Just be an edge creature. Just live on the edge on Sunday and live in the dirt on Monday through Saturday. Just, just be a critter of two worlds. Don't ever get too far into that Holy Ghost stuff and don't lose sight of where you came from. Still be carnal, you know, and just, just wear masks and, and be binary. And, but you've got you've to declare yourself. You've got to say, the family serving God, I'm never going to be a person without a sacrifice and I'm not staying close to that world that I've been exercised from. I'm leaving. I'm just, I'm just going. That's going to be in my past. I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm pressing towards the mark by the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Bible said, you put your hands to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. You gotta just keep your head going, man. You gotta stay focused on where we're headed. 
Because there's all these voices and there's all these echoes and there's all this stuff that just says that can't be true. That's a lie. That's a myth. You're never going to do that. That's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, you get in the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel said there was a river. He echoed what David said. Read the book of Psalms. This is what it says. Somewhere in them Psalms, I'm sure Matthew will find it. He's so quick on this. David said, there, there is a river. It's there. The streams whereof make glad the people of God. I believed in that river for, for the last 40 years. People make fun of you. People say you're crazy. People say you're out of your mind. But I, I believe what the Bible says. There, there is a place in the Holy Ghost. Notice, there's a river and there's streams, okay? It says, there is a river and the streams, the streams whereof, they, 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 they make you glad. In other words, there's, there's a stream in the river. There's a current in the river. In the book of Ezekiel, he tells about water coming out of the house of God. He said he started wading in it and he, and he started and, and it was up to his ankles and he walked out a little bit further and it was to his knees and he walked out a little further and got to his waist. And then he said, I couldn't pass over, which means I, 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 I got to where I couldn't touch bottom because as long as you can touch bottom, ladies and gentlemen, you're in charge. You can just go back anytime you want as long as your toes are still stuck in the gravel and the goo of the beach. But there is a place in every body of water and there is a place in the Holy Ghost where you just keep walking. You see, here's what Ezekiel was trying to say. The deeper you get in God, the the, the less of you is going to be seen. And you get out there into a place where you can't touch bottom and now you're at the whim and the will of the current. That thing's gonna take you wherever it wants to go. I preached about Noah's Ark all my life, but recently I realized something. There's, Noah's Ark didn't have a sail. It didn't have a rudder. It didn't have a, it didn't have a steering wheel. When that thing lifted up off of that ground, that, 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 that ark was at the total direction of wherever that current was going to take it. That's what we do on Monday night prayer or when you pray to me. Every time I pray, it's like I'm a safe cracker. It's like I'm, 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 I'm saying, okay, you know, 14 to the left, two turns, 16 to the right, which means I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin my prayer the way Jesus said to begin. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy. So I always begin my prayer with praise and magnifying them. And, but I don't stay there the whole time. I, I shift gears and then I start to repent and forgive us our debt as we forgive those who trespass against us and, and, I, and I try to clean my spirit up and, 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 and then I start praying for every face God brings to my mind, everyone that I know that's sick. Ann and Mark Curtis, I love you right now and you're watching this thing right now from your living room and we want you to know that we love you. We love you. We love you. And I'll go through my mind like flashcards, like a Rolodex, doom, 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 one face after another, praying for this one and praying for that one, and on and on. And, and then I'll, I'll sing for a while and, 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 and Draylon will come up or some of this song and, I, and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, I'm changing gears, you know. You're just turning that, that, that tumbler, you know, and, 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 if, and, if, and if I sense that he's there, it's like praying for people around an altar. You pray for seven people in a row and it's like praying for a piece of plastic. And all of a sudden you put your hand on some number eight and something goes, whoa. And you know, here's where you're supposed to pray right now. Here's stop right here and just, just park here for a little while. This is, this is who you're supposed to pray for. And that's, that's, that's how we live. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to praise for a while. If that doesn't work, I'm going to repent for a while. If that doesn't work, I'm going to pray by faith for a while, but I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for the flow. I'm just, I'm just, okay, that didn't work. Okay, I'm still, okay, that didn't work. And all of a sudden you're getting something and your feet come off of the gravel bed. And it's like, boom, there we go. That's what we're doing in a service, ladies and gentlemen. We're singing for a while, preaching for a while, praying for a while. But what we're really looking for is that magic elixir 
when the presence of God can manifest this. See, the presence of God comes in two flavors. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But then there's the manifest presence. That's not the same. That's what we heard about a week ago with his glory. And we beheld his glory. I don't, we don't want to just be a Bible church. We don't want to just be a word church. Because it's not enough. The letter will kill you, ladies and gentlemen. But John said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what we're after. We want people to come to this church and feel something. We want them to come to this church and see something. I don't want to just be a Bible church. That's not enough. We got to have word and spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we're after. That's what we're after. I, 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 I like this because I didn't realize that until this week. Jesus began his ministry the same way that he ended it. It's a fish story. Three-day Bible study. My grandma used to bring pretzels to church. I barely made it through the first song. And I'm rubbaging through her purse because I know somewhere in that purse, my grandma never forgot pretzels. I still am a pretzel addict still. And girls were at my house yesterday with Kelsey's shower and I went out, saw all that stuff and then there it was, pretzels. That's Grandma Miney. So to me, the miracle is not just Jesus feeding a thousand. The miracle, the kids still got the stuff after three days. Because if it had been me, it had been, he just started that Bible class and I'd been in that bag chewing on them french fries and that bread, that fish. He feeds thousands of people with fish. And then he goes, okay. Hey, it's time to have the Bible class. You know how you're eating that fish right now and swallowing it and it's getting distributed all through your body? That's what you're gonna have to do to me. You're gonna have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. We're not talking cannibalism. What he's talking about is in the same way that you're ingesting this this picnic lunch I just created for you. And it's being piped all over your body and strengthening your body. You're gonna have to make the choice to let me into your life and let me affect and impact every part of your being to make it stronger and to make it greater. And all of a sudden they go, you know what? I just bought a piece of property. I better go check on that. I don't know if they got them lot lines shot good. Someone else said, you know, my mom and dad getting old. I gotta go home and take care of my mama. Another one said, you know, I, I got a girlfriend. We, 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 we gonna, that's my fiance. We gonna, we gonna get married. Now there's nothing wrong with owning property. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your mom and dad. And there sure ain't nothing with getting, wrong with getting married. But when it comes between you and bringing God into your life and you're using that as excuse to not let Jesus have the throne in your life, you, we got a problem. We got a problem. Five thousand people leave. He turns around to his disciples. He said, "Are you you want to go? There's the door. Adios. Just go. I'll get another dirty dozen." Peter shoots off his mouth as he always did. Where are we going to go now? We gave up everything to follow you. And he said, "I oh, know you didn't. No man has left house or brother or sister or father or mother." who shall not watch this in this life, not in, in this life, receive a hundredfold and in the world to come everlasting life. Amen. I'm preaching to some people right now. You had to make a choice. Isn't it amazing? You know, there's a story in the Bible about, uh, 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 about taking the Ark of the Covenant into a heathen, heathen house and into, into a place where they worshiped idols. And they put the Ark of the Covenant up against this idol called Dagon, which was half fish and half man. They came in the next day and Dagon has fallen down. Some well-intentioned person picked Dagon up and put him back on the stand. And when they came back the next day, not only had Dagon fallen off the stand, but he fell off and broke in a million pieces. And I find that happening when people start making a decision to serve God. Usually a family member, usually some well-intentioned friend is going to try and put that idol back up on, on, on the stand. No, 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 no. Don't you worship the Lord. Don't you forget what you've always worshiped. And trying to keep that idol thing alive in your life. I'm preaching to somebody right now. 
that you had to make a choice and it cost you, it cost you to serve the Lord. But look at how many brothers and sisters you got now. Look at the family you got now. You got brothers and sisters on the other side of this planet. You can't even pronounce their name. But there's going to be reunion day, woman. And you want to be there because somebody from every tribe and every tongue and every kindred, you are a part of something big, let me tell you. You're a part of something big, something massive. Oh, I gave up so much to serve the Lord. Were you a smoker? You gave up lung cancer. Big sacrifice, huh? Were you a drinker? You gave up cirrhosis of the liver. Big sacrifice. Don't you understand what we're talking about here? Man, I hitched my wagon to a star when I found Jesus. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. Now you gotta understand, Peter, Peter has already seen the resurrected Christ two times. He's already seen him two times. And then he says, I'm going fishing. And he's not saying, you know, boy, it's been stressful the last couple weeks around here. I'm just going to take the weekend off and catch a couple of walleye out there on, you know, Lake St. Clair. No, what he's saying is, I'm going back to the way I used to live. I'm going back to the job that I was doing when Jesus found me. I'm going back to the fish, guys. I'm going back to the sea. And they're out there in this boat that Peter says he doesn't own anymore. Because he said, we gave up everything to follow you. Well, then where'd you get the boat? And all of a sudden from that voice, do you have anything? We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Cast your net on the right side. But you don't understand. We've been thrown on the right side and the left side all night long. Cast your net on the right side. Who else but Jesus would ask you and me to try one more time in the very same place that we failed again and again and again and again. But something different now. You got the word on your side. And when they put that in, it said they got a bunch of fish. He knows immediately who it is. Bible said he takes off his coat because he knows it's going to be tough swimming and he jumps in and swims to shore. Read the last chapter of the book of John. It's a fish story. It's the same thing that happened when Jesus called him at the beginning. He's doing it at the end. And he's sitting there around that fire and the Lord's giving him direction for the rest of his life. And all of a sudden his pals come dragging in these nets. Please notice what it says. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. There were so many, yet I like this part. The net didn't break this time. I like that phrase, great fish. This is what the message says, big fish. Now, I've given myself to studying this Bible for a long time. And I always knew there's got to be something significant about 153. Boy, and I've searched for years to try and figure out what in the world does that mean. I found one smart guy, and this is what he said. I wrote it down. 153 is the square root of 12,369, which is the number of lunar months in a solar year. What in the world does that mean? I read another guy, he said, at that time, there were only 153 species of fish known to exist in the world. Today, there's over 30,000. I know the answer. I know why it says that. And I'll tell you why I know. Because I'm a fisherman. Fish stories are ambiguous. I, I, I have a friend named Greg Jokey in Oklahoma. He was raised in Minneapolis in Minnesota with his next door neighbor was a guy named Mitch Hedberg. Hedberg was 
was on the track to being the most famous comedian in America when he overdosed on heroin. Jokey told me a great story. He said, Harold, I knew, I knew Hedberg was different. We were sitting on the porch when we were kids. And he said, you know what, Jokey? I've come to the conclusion that Bigfoot is blurry. He said, what? He said, every picture I have ever seen of Bigfoot, it's blurry. He said, and that really scares me because there's an out of focus monster out there somewhere. Let me tell you about fish stories. They're blurry. They're blurry. They use phrases like, we caught lots of fish. We caught bunches of fish. We had a stringer full. The live well was full of them. But I like the exactness of this verse. You know why? They counted them. It wasn't just 100 or 200 My pal Billy Cole used to go, literally thousands got the Holy Ghost. That's what he'd say. 112, 113, 200. No, 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 no. Okay, 149, 150, 153. I'm not making this up. We counted them. So it's with the greatest sense of pride and to date, most humbling event in my life that I give to you my dear brother, Brother Brent Campbell. You know, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver but he loves a grumpy one, too, yes. because God loves everybody. But you can't give to God as a grumpy person for too long before you become a cheerful giver. When Brother Hoffman called me early this week and he asked me to take the microphone for this part of the service, I was very humbled and honored that he'd ask me. Um, I'm a part of a small group of 12 to 15 people that have been in Pentecost for over 60 years that call this church home. So our group, our group has seen bad times. We've seen good times. We're, we're, we all need to get our celebration shoes out of the closet, polish them up, try them on, because God's going to do some things that we've never seen before. The miraculous is going to happen. We're doing this with excitement, with expectation. We're going to see it happen together in unity, and I can't wait for the day we start seeing those stories. It's going to be a great time. So I uh, told Laura Neto I would do a commercial for her for us. Next week, we're all meeting at 1130 here at the church. We're going to get an envelope, and we're going to put our initial offering in this envelope. And some of us, or some of you give online or through Avanto or through the, through the kiosk. You can do that. That's fine. We're asking that you bring a check. What I didn't realize is every time you pay electronically, there's a small fee that's taken out that we don't get to keep. So if you gave a $10,000 offering, 200 bucks goes to the bank. I'd rather keep it all. Yeah. So I didn't realize that. So we're asking if you could pay by check, that's great. If not, you can pay by, by electronics, that's fine too. But I, I told her I would say that announcement, um, a commercial in front, inside of the commercial. But I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago to talk to Sister Betty Saylor. Sister Saylor is, a seven, has been, uh, is 92 years old. She's a great, great grandma and said this was not her first campaign. This is her fourth campaign. Her very first campaign was 70 years ago in Royal Oak, where her and her husband Delbert and two small children were a part of a great campaign of sacrificial offering and sacrificial giving. And they built this church that's behind me, Christ Church Apostolic. It was not just an ordinary church, it was a great church. It was a landmark church in the Midwest. Many ministers, pastors, preachers, teachers, musicians came from this church. It was well-renowned for being a great and famous church. In fact, uh, Nathan, Nathaniel Urshan, who was our general superintendent, was an assistant pastor at this church. But that was seven years ago, and I thought, I'd like to investigate. How did their campaign go? What happened back then? So I did a little research. First of all, I talked to Betty Saylor. She is an eyewitness can't get better than that. 
Then I remembered my, my grandmother gave me a stack of magazines called the Pentecostal Herald. And I found an article in the October edition, 1953, that had a whole write-up about that church. Then lastly, I called my pastor, Pentecostal Herald. <laughs> and so after, looking at, after talking to one Betty and two Heralds, I came up with some following information in comparing our campaign to their campaign. Uh, first of all, they had about 300 members. We have about 325 members. They built a building that had, could, could fit about 800 people. Our first building, our next building is going to have about 850 people it'll fit. Um, another thing that was unique is they, had a, they built a building from 1950 to 1953, a three-year campaign. We're also having a three-year campaign. That group of people came up with a little over $300,000 in that short amount of time in 1950. So I took three, a little over $300,000 using an index of inflation. And in reality, if they did that today, it was $3,636,000. Pretty big number. Pretty big number. Um, so what do we do here? So we all filled out one of these cards, and we said that we were going to commit to money. Uh, pastor was getting calls all week last week. We had people that, we, that watch our service online, people that don't even go here, wanting to contribute. It was miraculous. The total number committed, and this is, we feel confident that this number will come in, is $3,636,000. And 80 cents. But there's more. But there's more. What does Haggai have to say? Haggai 2.9 says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. So what we do now in this latter house is going to be greater than that former house. So this card that we filled out last week in the upper right-hand corner also said that if God blesses, if God anoints, if God comes through with some miraculous things for us, we're going to give above and beyond our commitment. And this number came out to be $5,228,000. $276.80. We need to give God some glory and some praise. Come on, let's praise Him for a little while. Clap your hands, lift up your head to God and say, Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Upon this rock, you build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Come with us on the old. When we bind and loose, we proclaim your truth, and in Jesus' name. Yeah. 
Jesus' name. Isn't that great? Just worship, all of us. Come on, just, just worship together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. <laughs> now, this is going all over the country, and I'm saying this very, very carefully. I could be mistaken. To my knowledge, this is the largest offering in the history of the United Pentecostal Church. Right now, First Church is first. And we have raised the bar for other churches that are going to come behind us. No one to date has done and committed to do what you've committed to. It's amazing. Satan, you're a liar. <laughs> you're a bold-faced liar. Years ago, there was a, a man named Chaplain Ray. He was known all over the country. He was in the prisons. Um, Ray died, and um, something amazing happened. A guy by the name of Charles Colson got out of prison and uh, dedicated the rest of his life to prison ministry and literally built the largest prison ministry fellowship in America. Colson intrigued me because Colson was known as Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He was on Nixon's staff with Ehrlichman and Haldeman and those fellows. I saw Larry King interview Charles Colson. Colson told about his conversion. He said, I was driving around the beltway. I, was, I knew I had to turn myself in and go to prison. So I was crying, wondering how in the world did I ever get my life so messed up? And he said, I picked up a hitchhiker at 70 miles an hour. And, and he said, but I didn't slow down. <laughs> he said, something got in the car with me as I repented and prayed. He said, I began to cry and I pulled my car off to the side of the road. And he said, I began to, to worship God. And in time, he said, I realized I was saying things I didn't understand. He said, later, investigating the Bible, I realized the Lord had filled me with the Holy Spirit and was literally using my mouth to magnify Him in a language that I didn't know. <laughs> Larry King looked at him and said, Charles, I'm an agnostic Jew. I'm not an atheist. I'm a, I, I don't know if there is a God or if there isn't. I just, I don't know. But he said, I'm a Jew and I don't believe that resurrection story. How in the world can you believe that guy died and came back to life? Colson looked at Larry King and he said, that's the easiest question in the world to answer. <laughs> and Larry King interrupted and said, I just always believe them, Russian so or them Roman soldiers stole that body. He said, no, 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 you're missing a point. He said, if they would have stolen the body, they would have known where it was. And as the church grew, they would have just dug up that black corpse and said, there's your resurrected savior right there and mocked him. He said, well, and I, maybe them disciples, they stole it. He said, no, no, you're still missing the point, Larry. He said, when the, the early church, those leaders, with the exception of John, they were all martyred. They all gave up their lives. And he said, and if you read it, they faced death without fear. And he said, when Nixon was going down here, Larry, he said, his staff was bailing out like rats off the Titanic. He said, you know why they were leaving? He said, because none of us wanted to go to prison to protect a lie. We knew Nixon was a liar. And we didn't want to go to prison to protect a liar. And he said, if those disciples would have known he had died and not resurrected, they would have not been willing to give their life for a lie. We weren't even willing to go to prison for a lie. He said they saw something, Larry, that was so powerful that they lost their fear of death. They saw a resurrected Jesus. That's what they saw. Now all across the world, they're celebrating today. This is the day that we celebrate resurrection 
not here. This is not going to be a place to just one day a year. This is going to be, we're going to celebrate resurrection power every day this year. He's alive. The Lord almighty, omnipotent reign. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Jesus, we thank you. We honor you, Lord. We exalt you in this place, mighty God. Jesus' name. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we're building this for you. That's how much we love you. That's the kind of sacrifice and the commitment we're willing to make. We're building a building for people we don't have faces for, we don't have phone numbers. We've never, they've never friended us on Facebook yet. But I promise you, they're in this city. They were in that grass yesterday. They thought it was Easter eggs and chocolate. They missed the whole point. We just, we're gonna build something mighty, a big fish. We're in deep water now, ladies and gentlemen. We have left the bank, we've left the safety of the shore. We're out in the deep, but we're gonna see his wonders in the deep. And we got a big fish on the line right now. <laughs> you know why I know this number's right? Because we counted it. 80 cents. I love that. We just didn't round it off. It was into eight. We counted it. I love you. Thank you for your commitment, your confidence. Now you gotta pray. God help us to spend this wisely. I've said this before. Every Catholic priest is not a pedophile and every Pentecostal preacher is not a thieving bum. The answer to abuse is not disuse. The answer to financial abuse is accountability. That's why Brother Campbell's here. That's why others are in here. Just, so I want you to pray that God will lead us to the right people. He knows where every pothole, he knows where every, every problem lies in the road ahead. Let's believe God. We're gonna fast next week, 24 hours. If you can come to church, fine. If you do it at your house, fine. I don't care, but get on the website and find a prayer time and let's have a continuous chain of prayer because next Sunday, we're gonna bring something to this house. And if you think this is fun today, you wait till next Sunday when it's on the altar. Oh, Jesus. To all of you precious people watching us online, I know you're all across the country. Just in the last, in the last just a matter of days, we've had $50,000 that's been given to us from people that don't call this church home. Just said, I wanna be a part of this miracle. And it hasn't stopped. It's like every day something else, and it's not gonna stop. I want you to believe with me that we can build this thing without a mortgage. I got, I got Bible for that, I'll tell you why. When Moses built the first church house in the Bible, he took up an offering. Now they're in Egypt 430 years, but all of it wasn't slavery. Last 140 years was. 140 years of slavery. But the Bible said before Israel left Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians. They get out in the wilderness and God tells Moses, I want you to build me a house. So Moses takes up an offering. And guess what ends up in the pot? All this stuff. God paid them back for 140 years of labor. They hadn't got a dime for over a century, but God paid them back for all their labor. It got so amazing that literally Moses had to stop them and said, we don't need any more. We got what we need. Moses didn't have a mortgage. And I sure would like to see us without one. Whatever happens, we're going to build it and we're gonna fill it again, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you, I know you have plans, great dinners, greet one another, say great words of encouragement to your brother and sister. If you're guests with us today, would you please just hang around and let my wife and I find you just to be able to say hello one more time. Have a magnificent day, see you in prayer tomorrow night. God bless you, God bless you.